Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Docky Talks. So today we are doing episode three, The Secret of Tiger Kings. So just a warning, this does contain adult content. There could be some explicit language and just a warning, we could be talking about animal abuse. So just some listener feedback we had, Chelsea. Um, I was asking people who do they like more, Joe, Carol, or Doc? It seems like we're kind of split between Joe and Carol. Mm-hmm. We have nobody for Doc. Well, I can see why. Yeah, I guess nobody wants to be part of his sex cult. So that's, I think people are sort of feeding back that they think Carol is trying to help the animals um, and that Joe seems to be trying his best. But Doc is just, I think, a little bit too cult-like for everybody. That's pretty clear what his agenda is. Yeah, I agree with that. Are we going to introduce ourselves or are we just going to get right into it? I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chelsea. And this is DocuTalk, as we said. So uh, Michelle and I had discussed, because Tiger King's becoming this huge sensation. Anyone on social media has seen it, heard it, everyone's watching it. Um, and I especially I think because we're a lot of places are in quarantine now or lockdown. So what else are we going to do besides watch insane television? And memes have been cropping up all over the place. So we are going to talk about our favorite meme that we have, well, our favorite memes that we have seen so far. And I have to say one of my absolute favorites is the one with Donald Trump, where he's being told that everyone is going crazy because, you know, lockdown. COVID-19, all that jazz. And then he says, release the Tiger documentary. Have you seen it? (laughs) I hadn't actually seen that one. (laughs) It's good. Let's just do like a distraction here. (laughs) I know. So, and I have it here to share with you. Um, So Michelle has now officially seen it. And we will be posting it on our social media outlets so you listeners can see it as well. But honestly, for me, I can it's just too real. Like, I can see Trump literally going, release the tiger documentary. Calm the masses. I know. There's a lot of really good ones out there. And mine, honestly, is just a simple one. But when I saw it, I just sort of really laughed. And it's a picture of Joe. And it says, I'll tell you who's to blame for COVID-19. Carol Baskin. Oh, 100%. It's that bitch, Carol Baskin. She is behind COVID-19. I I also love that one. (laughs) I just thought that one was hilarious. Oh, me too. Carter and I actually often will now blame whatever's going on in the house on Carol Baskin. It was that bitch Carol Baskin. <laughs> That's a good idea, but I always tell my husband I got married, so I had him to blame things on. So. Oh, you know, there you go. I'm not married, so we can we can keep blaming Carol. Yeah, there so, you go. Listeners, feel free to tweet us or email us your favorite Tiger King memes. We would love to see them, and maybe we'll have them featured on our social media outlets. Yeah, I that would be great. We got, yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into the episode. So, holy, this was a very interesting episode because we got a lot more insight to Carol and her history and what happened to her rich husband. So, this nice, squeaky clean image that she likes to portray is not so clean anymore and I think some of her true colors are starting to come out. I certainly agree with you Michelle. I was so surprised with how this episode unfolded and I knew you know I've been saying this since day one she seemed fishy she seemed fishy but I was not expecting it to be something like this so oh gosh I can't wait to unpack this. Yes, there is a lot. So we'll start a little bit with Carol's history. She grew up as a fundamental Christian. 
And she was raped at 14 years old by three men at knife point, which is just must have been horrific. And what's even more impactful on that was when she told her family, she said that because of their fundamental Christian beliefs, that they felt that she must be asking for it. So she ended up leaving home at 15 years old. And she was married by 17 and had a child, Jamie, with her first husband, who she said was abusive. So, again, we have another person with quite a bit of trauma in their past that is attracted to these big cats. And I I can't help but think that's part of what helps heal them in a way, which I think Joe even admitted to that. But also just that power and, and feeling important. So then she says one day she was with her her first husband And she knew that he was going to, I guess, attack her. So she threw a potato at him and left the home. Um, Not too sure where her daughter was at the time. Yeah, me either, Michelle. When I watched that, I was like, excuse me, you abandoned your daughter, who's about three, overnight with her abusive husband. Um, Excuse me, but who does that? I was just shocked. I don't know many mothers who abandon their child so willingly, especially in such tumultuous home environments. Like Mm -hmm. she just left her home, her family, and walked the streets. I understand that she probably wasn't thinking very clearly. And an abusive, stressful situation makes you react in strange ways. But all of a sudden, Don magically pulls up in his car. Would you have gotten in, Michelle? No way. This man is much older than her, offering you a ride late night, and you wouldn't get in the car? No. I think that is crazy. I do, too. And I was just wondering, because, you know, I'm younger, and I've grown up with this stranger danger you never get in the Mm -hmm. car, especially as a woman, because, you know, hitchhiker murders, rapes, things like that. So maybe your generation was a bit more trusting. I mean, I think you have a good point there. And I think maybe you had a friend with you, maybe, I guess. But I don't even think when I was growing up that somebody would have gotten in a car by themselves with some stranger, even in my generation, we knew that that would never be a good thing. Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone here. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, she also said that she wasn't going to get in at first. He had to go around a few times before she was willing to go in the car. And why was she willing to go in the car, Chelsea? Oh, because he had a gun that he yes. gave to her. Yes. The gun. The idea that he offered her a gun so she would get in. I just can't get over these people and their weapons. If a I, guy had a gun, I would be more likely to run away. Yeah, I, I that wouldn't make me feel any safer. But she thought, well, this is interesting. So she was going to get in the car. Like I, I actually don't even don't even know if that story's true. One hundred percent, I agree with you. Like it just seems like this perfectly crafted, fabricated story, and it's like that really sick, twisted meet cute. Because that is a very sick, twisted story. <laughs> because yeah. she's a vulnerable woman who's shoeless crying in the streets and he's this married man who just happens to be driving around late at night and he picks her up yeah so why is he even picking her up really exactly i i really would love to know and maybe some of our listeners can share their stance on whether or not they would have gotten in the car or if they would have felt safer because the man had a gun or not i would love to hear what they have to think Yeah, I'm curious if anybody thinks they would have gotten in the car and if they somehow would have felt comfortable getting in the car just because he had a gun on, of that she could hold a gun on him. Exactly. And, like, why was he so concerned with helping her? Like, what did he want to talk to her about? Because, remember, he was like, I just, she just kept saying, oh, I just want to talk to you. Like, I need to talk to you, not. He said he just needed somebody to talk to. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Of course he did. You know, know, when you see the pictures of her younger, she was quite a good-looking woman, eh? She so I could, I can see why he wanted to pick her up, even though the fact that he was 22 years older than her, but, you know. Yeah, and I definitely think Dawn had a type, you know, those blonde hair ladies. Yeah. Well, Dawn, even though he was married, was definitely known to have affairs in his marriage, and his wife was 
aware of this and and put up with it. But she got married to him when she was 14 and he was 17, which I can't even imagine getting married at 14. That just, wow, that's unbelievable to me. Um, And then he met Carol, like we said, when she was 20 and he was 42. And it's interesting because they carried on their affair for four years before they left their spouses. So Carol went back to her abusive partner. I was a little surprised about that. So was I. I was very shocked because in a way they made it sound like it happened so fast and everything just clicked. But then she's like, oh, yeah, and then I didn't leave him for four more years. What? (laughs) I was just really, what? Yeah, I was confused about that, too, because I thought when she said, like, I threw a potato at my husband, I left the house crying, I got in the car with Don, I spent the night with him, and I thought, okay, well, that's it. Now they're they're together, and it's just carried on for four years before I left my husband. What? Like, maybe it took four years for her to convince him to leave his wife. Ooh, I never thought about that. I actually didn't. I thought... Yeah. Wow. That's good. Good going, Michelle. Also, um, when she says they spent the night together, I'm just like, so what were you doing? And like, really, did you guys maybe not like, were they having sex? Were they not having sex? How are these women in such emotional situations even interested in sex at this point? Yeah. Oh, it kind of alludes to like, oh, you know, like we spent the night together. And I'm like, oh, if I'm that upset, that's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's, I don't know. But I think she knew this guy had money. I think, I think she was taking her opportunity to leave her abusive husband and be with this new guy who had money and would take care of her because she said she grew up poor. And so this way, this was, I'm sure she probably didn't have a lot of money with her first husband because I don't know if he was much older than her. But I, I just had the impression they probably didn't have much. So this was her opportunity at a better life. Exactly. And so obviously we knew because they'd been together for four years before anything really happened. So she must have known a lot more about him. And he seemed to have been quite forthcoming on that, you know, their magical one night together. So my thing is, did she take advantage of Don or did Don take advantage of her? What do the listeners think? True love or opportunity? Yeah, I think, well, you know, I love my 90-day fiancé. And you get these older guys that go abroad to meet these women. Because right now we're on before the 90 days. And so you get this old guy meet this young girl. And the old guy is always like, is it really true love? Or do they just want to be to America? You know what? It's a give and take on both sides in my mind. Right. I don't think it's really with Carol and Don. Was it really true love? I venture to say maybe not. There's probably some definitely caring and feelings, but I think it was her way of getting out of whatever situation she was in. And it was his way of having a younger, hotter wife. Okay, first of all, I love how these old men are the ones questioning whether or not it's true love when they're going after vulnerable young women. Like maybe you should be questioning your motives and not the other way around. Yeah, and I have- exactly. I love how they always question the woman's motives, but their motives are pure as the driven stuff. Oh, 100%. They're in it for love, Michelle. They want someone to take care of them. Okay, let's, we're going down a rabbit hole here. Let's I get know. back on track. Um, <laughs> So we're going to discuss the exotic animal auction. So now that, you know, Carola and her first husband have shacked up. Second husband. Yes, second husband. I just, I keep forgetting, you know, that she's on her third husband by now. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) jealous. (laughs) Shacked up and now they are doing, they started going to exotic animal auctions because, you know, you've got money. What else do you do with your money but buy some exotic animals? Yeah. So 1992, they started, they went to some animal auctions and bought bobcats to save them from being killed by the taxidermist. The following year, they bought 56 bobcats and lynx 
from fur farm sellers. So, and then following year 28, the next 22, until apparently there were no more fur farms left in their state. So they have over a hundred big cats at this point. I love how she emphasizes that, yes, they were at these exotic animal auctions, but they were freeing the animals that would have gone to fur farms. So how do we really know that? I'm curious to know if any listeners know how fur farm buying works fur farm selling works, why are they selling fur farm animals just at an exotic animal auction and not their own specific auction? Michelle, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it sounded like they specifically went to the fur farms to buy these animals. I don't know why. And I love how Carol makes it sound like I stopped the fur farms. It was all me. We bought all the animals. So I have stopped it. So then they started their wildlife on Easy Street was the first name of their zoo, basically. Yes, it was. And so they started this zoo and, you know, they bought and sold and bred big cats for years. Carol is a fucking hypocrite. Are you kidding me? All of those videos and their fucking zoo. It was a zoo. First and foremost, it was a zoo. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. And I think this is exactly why Doc and Joe say that she is just as bad as them and that she tries to close them down, but she did the same thing. And we see from her, the VHS tape from the guy that she bought their first tiger from, talking about how to raise these animals so that you've got to take them from the mother when they're young. That way you can can raise them and they'll become good pets. They were obviously having the babies and selling them as pets. So yeah, she's doing the same thing. So you also do, because I think there was, it was Joe, did he comment that her animals aren't all rescues like she, she likes to present them to be. So you do wonder, she probably still has cats that are from babies that she raised since then. Now, I can't believe I'm going to even have to do this, but I'm going to somewhat defend Carol slightly. It pains me. me. I know it's paining me to do so, but I just have to say it because we all do it. The, The more we know, hopefully the more we grow and the more we make better decisions. So I think she probably loved these cats and loved animals, which just seems like she did most of her life and fell in love with the cats that she had. But after breeding them and selling them for something clicked in her to say, okay, I, I don't think this is right. And she no longer wanted to breed and sell. So she came to some sort of moral epiphany, decide this isn't correct. But Don didn't agree. Don liked his money and he run to run this more like a business to continue making money. And she wanted to keep the cats and probably more go towards the zoo idea and rescue and conservation, if we can possibly use that type of word. So I, I will defend her in terms of I think that maybe she learned from that experience and she has decided that this is wrong and this is why she advocates for it. I really hope so. And I was, I had a very big inner struggle when I was watching that happen because I'm like, okay, I really don't like her. And she seems even worse because she's had this background where she was doing the job, the Dawn and sorry, the Dawn, the Doc Antle and Joe routine. So I do hope that it was sincere and that she didn't start doing it because she realized maybe she could be like more of a celebrity or have more status if she started conservation efforts. Like maybe it was, maybe it was kind of a selfish motive because she wanted to be the savior. I think you have a very good point there. It could be that too, right? I'm sure there's a lot of her that is just wanting to be bigger than better than everybody else. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of her angle. Um, Mm -hmm. But it definitely was not Dawn's because then Dawn starts going to Costa Rica once a month because Apparently, they don't have the restrictions down there. So he wanted to move move the zoo down there so he could continue to breed and sell these cats. And so while he went away, she would spade and neuter all the cats she could while he was gone. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, as soon as I heard he was going to Costa Rica once a month, I just knew he had a girlfriend down there. I just knew it. I also thought the same thing. I was like, oh, my God, Don's going to have this, like, second family in Costa Rica, or he's just down there banging bitches left, right, and center. Like, there's no reason why an old man goes to Costa Rica aside from, you know, banging bitches, hanging out on the beach, (laughs) and escaping winter. Yeah, I don't think he's going down there, like, just looking at animals all the time. So I would just like to give some advice to our listeners here. Listen, once a cheater, always a cheater. I don't care what you say. He cheated on his first wife many times. Now he's cheating on Carol. And I think Carol was probably young and naive. And you see this, these women think, oh, we were just so meant to be and we were just so attracted to each other that that's why he screwed around and his wife with me because I'm so special. It really has nothing to do with the person. In my mind, it's a it's a moral standard you have or you don't have. So if you cheat with somebody and they're in a relationship, don't turn around and think they're going to be faithful to you because it's just not going to happen. So that's oh, just my are. two cents out there for everybody. And everyone should take that very <laughs> yeah. seriously. Because Michelle gives amazing love life advice. I will have you know. I've been coming to her for years. <laughs> it did seem that Costa Rica had become this really big sore spot in the relationship. And yes, he definitely seemed to have a girlfriend down there. So I want to know, like, was Carol just threatened? Was it even about the cats to begin with? Was it more just about the fact that Dom was screwing around on her? So mm. who knows? Then, you know, Don goes missing. And uh-huh. Shocker, Don goes yeah. missing. I really wasn't too surprised, I have to say, with this lead up. I was like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so Don goes missing. He's due to go to Costa Rica the next day to take a shipment of cars. And Carol assumes that he's gone because he was leaving early in the morning. So Anne, his his assistant, tried to get a hold of him to finalize things. And all of a sudden, she can't reach him. So she eventually calls Carol the day after. So Carol calls the police to report him missing. And even in that interview, when young Carol is talking about her missing husband, she just doesn't look sincere. I really don't think that, like, you could kind of tell, like, she was putting on an act, even. And I don't know if that's just because I'm I'm too judgmental or I don't trust people. <laughs> but I really thought she was setting the stage for the fact that he was missing or dead. We mm-hmm. know lots of people are saying Don didn't want to lose his money and Carol was spending it like water. So did he have prenups? Like, was he paying his first wife alimony? People kept saying Carol would have lost everything if they had have gotten divorced and obviously even the cats. And so maybe that was something she would not be okay with. So maybe that's why, like she knew she had to do something really dire, really, really um, to pr- protect herself and make sure that she wouldn't end up like she was before because, you know, that protection, the self-preservation instinct really kicks in when you've been in a bad situation or you've been financially unstable, like you always have it in you, you know, you will do whatever it takes not to go back there. So her story seems really wishy-washy, especially when she does the whole, oh, he was going and it was early, 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 you know, like so early in the morning. She just spends so much time really emphasizing these odd details that to me makes it seem unbelievable. And was Dawn trying to screw Carol over? And she caught him. That's my big thought. I was like, ooh, what's he doing? Maybe Dawn was doing something dirty. And Carol caught him out. And that's why she did what she did. Listeners, what do you think? Very curious what the listeners are going to say. It it does seem obvious that Carol suspected something. Maybe that's what led her to do something. I don't know. But there is certainly a lot to go over here. Again, I think the power of being around these big cats, I think if there was some thought that she was going to lose these cats, then I think that would have pushed her over the edge. But we got to break this down point by point. So like you said, she kept emphasizing the early, early, early. But Carol was up at 3 a.m. 
and claims to have seen him before he left because she was out at 3 a.m. getting cat milk and her car broke down and she runs into her brother, the sheriff, and then his colleague takes her home. Well, that seems a bit suspicious that you just happen to run into your brother at 3 a.m. when your car breaks down, definitely giving you some sort of alibi. I find this really suspicious like suspicious and but then she also says that she doesn't really have a relationship with her brother but then you see pictures of them together like what do you think I agree with you 100% the whole time like okay you're going back and forth here and like why do you have all these recent pictures with him if you you don't have a relationship with him and all I could think of is Carol's running out at 3 a.m to get some cat milk some special big cat milk from a local store that carries it just for her and it's open at 3 a.m. Now, I have had to hand raise kittens, and I have never had to run out at 3 a.m. to get cat milk for them because I know that I need to have supplies at all times. And um, 3 a.m. seems very suspicious. What stores are open at 3 a.m., really, especially out in the boonies? That's what I was very curious about, too. So she's saying mm-hmm. she's going out to this get this cat milk, but really? Is this store even open at 3 a.m.? Yeah. And then her car broke down and her brother just happened to be there. And then they're out gallivanting together. Like, what is going on? Yeah, I don't buy it. Me either. And so then the next one, she doesn't report him missing until day later and only after Anne calls her. Now, she doesn't seem that upset about the situation according to Anne when she calls and it seems strange that Carol doesn't think she should call the police and almost has to ask Anne about it yeah Michelle what would you do if that was your husband who was potentially missing and someone called you and told you well listen if if my husband's supposed to be home and I come home from work and he's not here I'm like what where is he I'm on the phone I'm calling him where are you You're supposed to be home. And not that I'm freaking out or anything, but if you expect somebody to be home and they're not here, I do get a little worried. Like, did something happen to him? Even Mm -hmm. if he's like, oh, I'm going to the store to pick something up and he's gone a long time. I'll call him like, where are you? Because I worry. Did he get in an accident? Did something happen to him? I don't know. I, I just get worried about that kind of stuff. So there's no way I, I would, if his, if his, boss or assistant or anybody called me to say I haven't been able to get a hold of him I I would have lost my mind I I would be thinking the worst thing I'd be calling the hospitals I'd be calling the police I'd be calling everybody to kind of figure out where he is so she seems so nonchalant about it I know and she really needed prompting to even involve another party yeah I'm I'm in the same boat like there's been times where I can't get a hold of my partner and I'm like really worried and he's the worst because he never picks up his phone he never answers text messages so it's actually something that you know it's very viable like maybe he got in an accident maybe one of his students stabbed him I don't know (laughs) (laughs) it could happen at his work (laughs) all right and then the next so then the police get the report I understand it's probably difficult for the police to figure out which reports are very valid and concerning and which are not so much but they come to the property they walk around they don't see nothing so then the next thing is a few days later they find the van with the keys in it by the airport and they just take it back to carol's and they don't even really look in it why i was really surprised about that like that's evidence and the fact that they let so many people contaminate that evidence and in my mind I'm like okay maybe this is just the 90s and they don't know any better I I have no idea but it was so weird mm-hmm. and so then the police apparently talk to other people so throughout the episode we see other people talking about how he told them he wants to divorce Carol that he's moving money around to get ready to divorce her, that he uh, has buried his money 
So when I heard he's burying gold bars, I'm like, okay, those people from Oak Island need to be coming down here and going on his properties and digging for gold there because they're not finding that much on Oak Island there. So come down here and dig around here. Maybe they can find some of Don's gold if, if Carol hasn't found it all already. But he's getting all this stuff in order. And I think he even talks about some concerns about his safety. So if these people have heard all this stuff from Don and they're saying this in the show, I assume they would have told that to police, which I would assume would raise their suspicion. But they don't seem to do too much. This really reminded me of that. I don't know if anybody's listened to the podcast, My Teacher's Pet. It's it's we both great. Have to it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's it, well, it's a sad story, but it again, it's about a missing person. This husband's wife goes missing, and they just believe everything he says. And what happens is everybody assumes that the police have talked to other people, so they didn't come forward with their concerns. They didn't really say the people in the show didn't really say if they had talked to police. I assume they did. The only person. We know who did talk to the police was Anne because she did say that that she was one of the suspects. So we know that I assume that they did definitely talk to her. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's so strange that, you know, everyone seems to know that John was going to leave Carol and that he wanted a divorce. But Carol never mentions this. And she just seems like she was so in the dark and so oblivious to it all. And I'm just, if you are in a relationship with somebody and it is not going so well and they're doing some shady things, they are obviously keen to end it. I'm sure he'd mention it. Like people who want to leave don't just oftentimes be like, oh, I'm done with you or I'm sick of this. Or they at least make it well known that the they're not happy and they're thinking about ending things so I just thought it was so strange everyone's like yep he wanted to leave and Carol's like we were just so happy yeah um so then we find out that Don filed a restraining against order against her in June and then he disappeared in August and even though it wasn't granted he gave a copy of the restraining order to Anne told her to take it home and keep it in case anything happens to him I can't help but think to myself, if somebody gave me something like that, I would have a bit more of a thorough conversation with them. Yeah, 100%. But I I just can't even imagine being in that situation and not being, uh, what's going on? Why, why would you be concerned about something happening to you? Well, exactly. Especially if it's like they're so concerned about their safety that they need to file a restraining order. And I would just be asking those difficult questions and also offering as much support as possible to help them if they need to transition out of that relationship, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. And I I felt bad that he didn't get granted this restraining order, considering she threatened to kill him and she did have access to guns. I wondered if this would have happened if he was a woman and this complaint was about a man. You know, it's funny that you say that because when I'm watching it, and I hear that. I'm just like, oh, yeah, not even shocked that, that that restraining order didn't get honored because there are so many women I know and also just stories I've heard about. There are countless documentaries covering this topic. And as a woman, you probably have a friend who's told you a similar story. But I have girlfriends and they have desperately tried to file restraining orders against abusive partners or partners who have been stalking them or making threats. And you know what, they have never been able to successfully get those restraining orders issued because unless they're do they really physically try to harm you and you can prove that they were trying to, you know, kill you or something like that, they're quite of all they're all thinking like, you know, well it's freedom of speech. You can th- you can make threats against somebody. That's okay as long as they're not acting through on those threats. That it's a completely different story. Yeah, it's just disappointing, right? It, well, it is. It's another piece of evidence in my mind for the police. So you would think when they found that out that they would have also taken this a little bit more seriously. But they did go to Costa Rica and talk to people. They just said they didn't find anything or didn't discover anything. But I would like to know what the girlfriend said. I assume they talked to her. 
Me too. And I was actually a bit sad that she wasn't in the documentary. <laughs> I was Me like, come too. on, Eric, why didn't you find her? Yeah. Gosh, got to hear what her side of the story here. I would have loved that because, you know, we're hearing from John's first wife, his daughters, all of his um, friends and co-workers and employees. But yet we never really get to hear the Costa Rica side of things. And I did feel like that was a big element that was missing. Yeah, me too. Okay, our next little piece of evidence, the office alarm goes off and then Anne gets called. And then she finds out that Carol cut the locks off the office and she went in there and rifled through the office and took things out. And because she was Dawn's wife, there was nothing that could be done about it. Yes. This is where the story just got really, really confusing for me. There was so much going on. So I'm so happy that you were breaking this down for me. And maybe I'll be able to understand what happened. (laughs) So obviously they were looking for some papers. I think Carol was probably looking for the power of attorney and wills. And she probably suspected there was something in there. Anne said... She was the power of attorney and executor for both Dawn and Carol. But then Carol produces a power of attorney. And in her power of attorney, it says upon disappearance that she would be in charge of his money. But that's such a weird statement to see in a document like that. And I've certainly seen lots of these type of documents and you never see that in there. So you can't help but think that this is something that she produced later and has set this up. So she had the ability to take control of his finances while he was in this disappeared state. Yeah. And even the lawyer commented on that, that in his whole entire law career, he's never seen anything like that. And no one ever thinks about what happens if I disappear. It's always if that person dies, you never think about them disappearing especially adults like they don't often get kidnapped unless you know they're really cool people which I don't think Don was no he wasn't a celebrity or you know an heiress yeah exactly so I think that was just her going in the office taking all the papers getting rid of previous power of attorneys so that she could produce these new ones so she was ensured she would have control of his money Mm -hmm. so then his ex-wife and kids say that she started getting rid of all his stuff so she was selling everything putting everything in her name um and then the family got left with all the yucky stuff which i'm really not sure what that meant but it's interesting because carol says well don wanted to cut his kids out of the will like stop their trust but she felt that she's going to keep that because those are his children and he would change his mind so again she's presenting herself like the better person and the bigger person yeah I was really when the family was going on about all the yucky stuff I was like I don't even know what that means like how is there anything yucky about real owning real estate or having a trust Maybe because I'm not a trust fund baby, I have no idea. And I have never owned property. I just, I'm so naive. Yeah, I I assume it meant with the trust, I sort of had the feeling that they didn't get as much in their kind of trust funds. And I don't even know how that all works either, because I don't have a trust in their trust funds that they thought they were going to get. And honestly, her daughters looked, his daughter's story looked around the same age as Carol. So my mind's just going like, okay, you guys are fully grown women at the time where your father disappeared. Why do you still need a trust? And why are you so dependent on your father's wealth? You are independent individuals that, you know, like you have to make your own way in the world. So for me, I'm kind of like, you're sounding a bit entitled here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get that on one hand they do. But on the other hand, you think, boy, your father spent all his life making his money. I'm sure he would have wanted his children to have some of that money and not just this young new wife. But 
you never know. Some people are weird about that and they're weird yeah. about letting their, their children benefit, you know, that nepotism Yeah. and waiting, you know, not until I die, will you get anything from me because you need to make your own way in the world. That's right. Yeah. Rich people are weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So then the next sort of bit more minor of a point is the kids talk about how there was a note on the refrigerator door at Carol's home that says no one was to ever speak that man's name again in the house and that she basically hot fired all the staff that Don was associated with or hired on the zoo after he he disappeared. Yeah, and I thought that was just so weird. But you know what? It just kind of, for me, it it gave credence to that whole credit to the whole thing that their relationship was a lot worse off maybe than we thought near the end. And then we find out the law is that he has to be missing for five years before he can be declared legally dead. So she declared him legally dead five years plus a day after he disappeared. I'm sure she had that marked on the calendar uh, and then there was no formal memorial or funeral. I thought that was strange. You know, usually you would have had something, I think. Now, uh, again, I don't want to defend Carol, but I feel like I have to give her some benefit of doubt here. Like everybody grieves differently. Maybe she just wanted to put this all behind her. I don't really believe so, but I'm playing devil's advocate here. Maybe she just didn't want to dredge up that memory, but you'd almost think she would have had something in the first year of him being gone or even before this five years. But the family complained about it and and people are saying there's no headstone and, you know, why doesn't he have one? And Anne's saying she wished she had some closure. There was some type of a memorial. But why didn't somebody just have one then? Yeah, and the family seemed really upset. And it's like, okay, first of all, you guys are his family. You could have made sure that there was one when you saw that Carol wasn't having one. And also, Carol, even in one of those interviews, she seemed really, you know, like, oh, there wasn't even a a memorial or there wasn't even a funeral, nothing. And it's just like, it's almost like she was looking for sympathy because that didn't happen. But at the same time, she's the one who was in charge of that. She was, it's like, it's either his family or the wife. Someone needs to step up and they can't be playing hot potato here with the blame. Yeah. And the next point I have is she says that Dawn had a lot of flying accidents. There was some suspicion that he flew himself to Costa Rica. I think that's what she is trying to lead people to believe that he flew to Costa Rica on his own and crash in the ocean but then she also says that he lost his pilot's license the day after he got it how do you lose the day after you get it I don't get that at all and that he had all these flying accidents so is there any evidence of this you would think the police would have found something Mm -hmm. and if he had been having flying accidents then there would have been reports of it there would have been knowledge that he was flying without his license I don't know Yeah, that's what I think. So then she's trying to say, because of these flying accidents, that he was showing signs of early Alzheimer's and having trouble with his memory. And you could tell when she was doing that video with the news when he first went missing, she was saying, I just hope that he remembers where he lives and and isn't lost and doesn't know how to get back home. Like, she already had this, this story planned, right? But nobody else seems to be able to confirm this because all his business partners and everybody are saying there was no problem with him whatsoever. Um, So the family suspects that he was ground up and fed to the cats, but the police would not test the grinder. What do you think about that? Oh, my gosh. The whole grinder situation. Okay, first of all, we're talking about big cats here that hunt wild, large cats animals and rip them to shreds and eat them bones and all so the fact that people actually thought they would need to grind up the kitties their food was ridiculous like (laughs) if she wanted to dispose of john's body and have the cats eat it they could have done that lickety split no problem and the fact that she's like oh it's just a little grinder you know we can't do anything with that i'm like bullshit carol call him bullshit my food processor 
says damage. So I am sure that your meat grinder is perfectly fine. And the fact that you wouldn't be able to get large chunks of meat in a meat grinder, well, then what is it for? Yeah. I, don't, I just, I thought that was just such a bullshit story. And I don't understand why everyone was so fascinated with the meat grinder. Like, do they not realize we're talking about gigantic, ravenous, meat-eating tigers and, and big cats that have to hunt in the yeah. world? Yeah. I don't, I don't think she put them through the meat grinder. I really don't. I don't either. I think that was just, mm-hmm. it was like one of those bait and snatch. Like, I'm just trying to distract you here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, and Joe even confirms a big cat could eat somebody bones and all. Of course. How have yeah. they been surviving in the savannah and, you know, in the wild all these years? No one's yeah. got a meat grinder out there. Now, the the last point I have, I left the kind of interesting point for laughs, is somehow Joe has a copy of her diary. How did he get that? I have no fucking clue. And, like, because they actually, the police mentioned that they also received an anonymous copy of her diary in the mail. And Joe mysteriously has an anonymous copy as well. I have to say, I think the person anonymously spreading their diary around is Carol. You know, I, I kind of wonder how is that, but I mean, it's not helpful for her. She says that he's the only man she ever loved. I don't know about that, but that he's sick and perverted. Yeah, so, that was red flag for me. What does it, she mean? I don't know. But then it also mentions that Dawn said that Carol wouldn't get any of his money if they separated. So that doesn't help her either, right? So I don't feel like the diary helps her, but I just can't understand. I assumed at first that the police had it, took it as evidence, and then somehow Joe got a hold of it through, I don't know, freedom of information or something. But I wouldn't think you could even get a hold of it that way because it's still an open investigation. But no, I have no idea how this diary is out in public. And the police mentioned that they had just received an anonymous package that happened to be her diary. And then Joe says sim- said something along the same lines. And I'm like, okay. Like, there's just, it's, there's too much coincidence in that for me. Yeah, me too. Maybe the whole diary was fabricated to begin with. I don't know, but it did have well-documented information, quite factual, or at least it seemed to go along with the story and it had just enough incriminating evidence, but also enough evidence to make you think in favor of Carol in the same way. So it was, it's a tough call. I wonder what our listeners think. Yeah. I'm curious what people think. I don't know, because I think there's some people who think she didn't kill her husband. It's interesting. You know, I I must tell you, I was very impressed with Anne, his assistant. Mm -hmm. I felt she stays very neutral to some extent. She's not quick to blame Carol. I mean, obviously, she would have been around Dawn and Carol. Um, she said she liked Carol at first when when they were together. So she's very neutral in a way, um, but and just almost providing the facts. The family, his, you know, his ex-wife and the daughters, obviously, I, I don't expect them to have much good to say about Carol. I wouldn't if I was them either. But Anne's so neutral about the whole situation and has a lot of good information. And yeah, and the lawyer, too, knew that he, it sounded like he was wanting to leave her. So I don't know. I, I, I tend to believe that she did something. I think it was that bitch Carol Baskin. She killed her husband. (laughs) That's right. Joe will tell you. And, you know, I just, I think she killed her husband. But at the same time, I just have to play devil's advocate here. Because, you know, how many women have said, oh, you know, this man screwed me over and I want to get revenge or I want to get back at him. Well, you know what? Carol fucking did. Carol owned that shit. And you know what? She benefited. She's living her best life. So no shame in that game, Carol. Just because you did it doesn't mean I think it's the the bad thing. I'm just like, finally, someone putting their money, the money where their mouth is. Like, we oh. all talk shit about how we're going to get even and take that man for all they've got. But how many women actually do? 
Oh my gosh, Chelsea, that's a bad point of view. I can't help it. I just, <laughs> maybe it's too much reality TV over here. I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I don't think there's justification for murder. No, oh. I'm not saying that, but it's just one of those things where it's like, everyone always talks about how they'd love to get away with murder or do, like, you know, get get even with someone, something like that. And so just playing a bit of devil's advocate here. Yeah, well, she did get even with him in a way in the end, right? If you put it that way. And the thing I find interesting about Carol is I feel like everything is so calculated with her. 100%. And she plays a role and she's performing a role. I would love to see her get mad. Oh, I know. And I just feel like everything is so scripted. Like, it's almost... Yes. It's almost like she's got multiple personality disorder or she's got a disassociation disorder, something like that, because like it's like the Truman Show with Carol. Like, everything is so scripted and configured, and you never yes. see the real Carol. Never. No, like, I don't think we see the real that. Carol. No, everything she says is a script. Everything she says is an act. Everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And those people are the most dangerous people, I find. Yeah. They are. Because she'd probably pass a lie detector test because she believes herself so much. 100%. And she's so in control of her emotions. I'm kind of just a little bit jealous of that sometimes. I'm like, oh, man. I'm one of those people, like, I have the most emotive faces in the world. And so it's really hard because as soon as I hear something, I'm like, my face is talking. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep anything a secret. All right. Well, I think that's kind of about it for this episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did like that we got to see one of Carol's music videos in this episode. It was oh. shown. And so uh, we have we have a question we'd love to pose you listeners. As we know, you know, Joe is quite the musician and he has these insane music videos. And Carol apparently has her own. Are you guys interested in us having like a separate episode where we take a, a deep dive into these music videos and talk about them? What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I think it would be a good idea to maybe take a look at them. We could do a little bit of a bonus episode yeah, um, like before we go on to number four. Exciting. It, it is exciting. This show just takes crazy turns all the time I I just never know what to expect I know and there's so much going on that it just feels sometimes like you've made it through this like the war going through an episode because there's just so much being thrown at you and it feels like the longest episode but only 45 minutes but yeah if our listeners like tweet us or you know email us let us know if you want to hear if there's um, a music video in particular from Joe you'd like us to review that would be cool. Yes. Okay. And you can reach us on Instagram at docu underscore talk and Twitter on docu underscore talk. And our email is docu.talk2 at gmail.com. And I'll put these in the show notes too. So next we will be covering, covering episode number four. So thank you everybody for listening and thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Michelle, for leading me down that very crazy rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, it definitely was this time. It All was. Right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye.